as you begin the period of sitting practice, remind yourself of the intention and purpose during this period of time, which can be as simply as just being present. Reminding yourself that conditions arise, create an experience, and then those conditions change. In the moment of that experience, the mind knows it. And if we're aware of that, we don't need to get entangled in it. Just be aware of what is arising. Reminding ourselves of the instruction and the intention during this period of time. Then relaxing the body. Letting your attention flow throughout the body. And notice even the subtlest holding or gripping in the face, around the eyes, jaw, shoulders, hands, within the torso, around the groin, down through the legs, the feet. Letting the full weight of the body settle onto the sitting bones. Relaxing as much as possible, or at least being comfortable. And then refresh your attention. Take a fresh look at this moment. What is happening, really? What is being known in this moment? Sounds are being known. Sensations in the body being known. Stillness of the body being known. In the beginning of practice, we often notice the most obvious or the grossest experiences, loud sounds, distinctive sensations, strong emotion. But as the momentum of awareness picks up, and we're more relaxed in our effort that has become more continuous, 
we begin to notice much more of our experience. Subtle sensations in the body, whispers of ideas or thoughts in the mind, faint moods or subtle mental states. Let your awareness notice whatever calls the attention. Without any agenda to fix it, to figure it out, or explain it. Just know that this experience has arisen due to conditions and causes. It is being known by the activity of the mind. And inquire, how is the mind relating to this experience? Is it excited by it? Afraid of this experience? Curious? Is there a feeling of ease being with the experience? Or a sense of struggle being with the experience? Just notice all these things. Notice too when the mind jumps on a train of thought or the train of thought comes to an end and the mind recognizes being present again. Just notice, this is the way it is. It happens like this all the time. No need to struggle with it, or justify it, or explain it. We're just noticing, this is the way it is. For now, we notice this much. Maybe in the past, it was different. Certainly in the future, it'll be different. But for now, this is the way it is. When we can accept the way things are for now, we don't struggle, we're not confused, we can allow whatever appears to be known without clinging, without pushing away, without confusion. This is the path to peace of mind. Some of what appears is unpleasant. Don't blame yourself. Don't struggle. Just notice this is the way it is for now. It is in the nature of the body to sometimes be unpleasant. It's in the nature and the natural activity of mind to sometimes be unpleasant. No matter how much we try to avoid it, it still occurs. Open to it. Accept or acknowledge this is the way it is for now. 
by paying careful attention to each moment as it arises. Its true nature of being impermanent, unstable, ephemeral, will become apparent. When the true nature of things is understood, grasping, clinging, holding on, just doesn't make sense. What you see, you can let go of. What's not yet seen isn't known, can't be known. If it isn't there, you don't need to look for it or note it. But just notice what's obvious. It will change. Periodically refresh your attention as if beginning again, never having seen this moment before. Each moment is the unfolding of life. Be there for it.
Do you have any questions this morning? Do you do you ever say non when reflecting on a memory? Do you ever say non remorse is being experienced? What what it well let let me let me step back and say do you ever say that remorse is being experienced? Do you ever feel like ooh gosh I shouldn't have well yeah okay okay so remorse is pretty common now what is non remorse? Yeah. Well, non-remorse, remorse is when, you know, you reflect on something that you did, and before practice, you just feel, if you realize, gee, that wasn't a very skillful thing to do, you just feel guilty. You know, it's like, ah, oh, what a jerk, you know, and then you feel guilty. Well, that's not the same thing as remorse. Remorse is being able to look back at something you did and realize that was an unskillful thing to do. But there's an understanding that, well, you did what you did due to conditions, you know, one of which was not being so aware, being ignorant, being jealous, being angry, being greedy, whatever. We did what we did. Now we understand that was not a very skillful thing to do, and so we have remorse for that. Remorse, in that sense, is a, is a wholesome state of mind because it's, it's a, a state of mind that has understanding and it's, it's a, a wholesome thought about there's wisdom in it that says not a good thing to do and embedded in that is the intention not to do that in the future. So that's remorse is a good feeling. It's a wholesome state of mind it's based on wisdom. Non-remorse would be looking back at something and reflecting and saying, well, I can think of two, two kinds of non-remorse. One is you did something that was unskillful and you don't have any remorse for doing it and you feel justified and you just say, <laughs> there, I'm glad I did it and I don't care. Mm. Now that, <laughs> that's not so good. That's not what you meant? Oh, okay. I didn't think so, really. <laughs> so the other non-remorse is being experienced would be a reflection that well, that was a skillful thing to do. That was, you know, uh, a wholesome thing to do. There was some wisdom there. And you can, it's not really congratulate yourself, but uh, uh, just recognize and reaffirm that, you know, that was a wise thing to do. And, it, and you see that it does not now cause you pain because remorse is, you know, you feel the pain of what you did. Non-remorse is like, well, I don't feel pain. So you can, you know, kind of uh, reflect on the goodness of your sila or your morality, your virtue. Is there another word for that? For non-remorse? Yeah, like that. Yeah, let's see. Hmm. Okay, this one? Non-remorse. Gladness. I mean, you know, when you reflect on, you know, I really kept my cool and... Clean mind, yeah, there's a kind of recognition of a, a pure mind and a clean mind. You kept your cool, you didn't kind of blow it. And it's like, hey, good. 
It's, it's, it's kind of like a wholesome pride, not pride in the hmm-hmm, but it's like a recognition of one's own, an accurate reflection of one's own inner qualities, which are wholesome. That's good. Yeah, that the actions, words, even the thoughts had been skillful. It's good. That's a good... You know, I think, you know, because we often say one should reflect on, you know, the blessings in their life, some of which are, you know, being healthy and having a happy family and, and, you know, being able to support yourself, and those are blessings. But other blessings include reflecting on the opportunities you've had to hear the Dharma, the opportunities you've had to practice sila, and reflecting on that and, you know, f- feeling the gladness, arousing the uh, pamuja, the uh, gladness within the mind. Yeah, that's a good thing to do. Yeah. yeah. One of the, yeah, when we, when we think of the four right efforts, one of them is to further develop or to, to bring to fruition wholesome states of mind that have already arisen. So if a wholesome state of mind, like non-remorse, has arisen, then to bring that to a, a greater fruition, to be mindfully aware of that and to fulfill it, to bring it to a, a perfection, if you will. Yeah, that's good. Things change. <laughs> but I, uh, I can address the question in two ways. One is, oh, I can address the content of your question, which is, you know, walking a circle, walking a straight line, how to walk in a straight line, notice when you get to the end of it, turn around, and counting is okay or not, depending on if you want to or not. And the other one is to just, the other way to address it is just say, so... You're, you, are, you are reflecting on walking in a circle, walking in a straight line, there's a little bit of doubt, and you just be aware of that, right? So I, I'm just using this as an example. You can address it as a content issue and, huh, what's going on? And be mindful of the content and, you know, is there, can, I, can you learn how to, can you train yourself, can you, Encourage yourself to walk in a straight line to a certain point, turn around, be aware of that, and walk back, not counting. Okay. The other is to address this whole, this whole package of should I, shouldn't I, will I, won't I, why don't I, can I, can't I. You know, address that as, oh, this is a state of confusion and doubt and bewilderment. Huh, what's that feel like? And you're not into the content of circle or straight. You're into the whole feeling of 
what it feels like to be a little bit confused, a little bit doubtful, questioning whether you should or shouldn't. So that's the mental state in which all this content is happening. Which would you like me to answer? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes if you just see that oh, this, is a, this is kind of a confused state of mind and I feel like, you know, which is right way and is this the right way, is that okay? And sometimes just becoming aware of that will resolve all the content issues that are being kind of thrown up and stirred up in the mind. But if you walk in a straight line, you know, and you keep walking, you might not get back for the next sitting. <laughs> right? You've got to be careful about that. It's a long, it's a long ways around. <laughs> but when you get back, you'd really be, you'd have a story to tell. <laughs> oh, imperfect. <laughs> yeah. It's okay to walk fast. Uh, you know, on a long, a long, not necessarily a, a, an amb, a, a ramble or an amble, amble, an amble or a ramble. Well, I guess they're both. But uh, just see if you can walk just around, you know, uh, and be mindful. Just keep refreshing your attention. You know, whether you're walking specifically back and forth, which is a very formal walking practice, or if you just, you know, you're walking down to the pond, you're over there, you're up the hill, you're back. See if you can also be, see how continuous you can be in refreshing your attention and being present for that. Yeah. Try both ways, you know, circle, back and forth, and amble, and see if you can be equally mindful in each of them. So the question is, if we uproot, you know, desire, attachment, craving in the mind, why do we? Bo- why would someone then bother to eat, to kind of nourish yourself? Well, <clears throat> not speaking from experience because I haven't got there yet, but <clears throat> I see the direction that we're going. You know, with with letting go of just obsessive craving and whatnot, <clears throat> and there is the need to, you know, not further cause harm. That's one thing. To, to not cause harm to one's own body, you eat. You, you nourish the body. You, know, you can eat without having you know, a lot of greed and uh, uh, attachment and craving to either what you're eating or even the fact of eating. You can eat just to nourish the body to you know, address the discomfort in the body and to, you know, to stay reasonably healthy. So that is neither uh, greed or craving. It's just a, it's, it's a wise reflection on, you know, what, what's appropriate, you know. And there's a, whole, there's a whole section of teachings on, you know, what is appropriate and what is, what is wise discernment, what is, uh, you know, wisdom in application. You know, even after the Buddha's awakening, he still ate and still you know, decided, oh, I'm going to spend my range retreat here, I'm going to spend it there, or he would go to speak, you know, to offer the Dharma somewhere or not. He still 
lived a very engaged life with men, women, monks, nuns, royalty, peasants, farmers, you know, in engaging them. But his mind was free of the unwholesome, you know, craving, attachment, aversion, things like that. So it's a wisdom factor. Wisdom factor arises then. A love life? Buddha's a monk. Did he have a love life? <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, he did. You know, the Buddha had, you know, the, the kind of love that you think you have for both a partner or a young child or your elderly grandparents, you know, that kind of love that's just... You know, you really care for them. You really want the best for them. You know, you'd do anything for them. But within, if embedded within that was the recognition that, you know, their life is out of your control. You know, they're eventually going to die. They're going to have to face their own conditions. And if your love for them and well-wishing for them was tempered with the reality that you've discovered in your own practice that, you know, they're living with their karmic load, their happiness or unhappiness, you know, as you practice in equanimity. Uh, And if you understand that, you know, uh, they have their own life cycle and process, if your appreciation for them is is complemented by that understanding... That is like uh, supreme love. What is not supreme love is this kind of unrealistic uh, infatuation with, oh, I love you as long as you do what I want you to do for me. You know, that kind of, you know, kind of negotiated, uh, I'll love you if you love me, and this is how I expect you to show your love for me, and this is how I'll show you, you know. And we do that. I mean, we have those kind of relationships, too. Um, they're more, you know, they're, they're kind of in the romantic or the kind of, you know, infatuated uh, kind of adoration of who you think someone is or who you'd like them to be for you. Well, is that really love? Or is that just attachment and craving and a lot of aversion if they don't do what you want or what you expect? So did the Buddha have a love life? Certainly. Now, in our intimate relationships with our partners, and you know, is that uh, the kind of love relationship that the Buddha had? Probably not, because you know, while there may be a lot of that genuine love and care, there's also some attachment and some you know, you know, let's you know, expectations and let's mutually meet each other's needs and things like that. How's that? Kind of evasive. (laughs) (laughs) Not being the Buddha and not speaking from that kind of experience, I'm just guessing. In the walking, pra- in the sitting practice, sometimes we will, you know, and, and many of you have practiced with 
either a primary object or an object of primary attention, like the breath. And when you know, the mind wanders off and you're elsewhere after noticing that, you can <clears throat> refresh your practice, begin again with that primary object. In the walking, if you were doing that kind of primary object and returning to the primary object walking, if you were paying attention to the legs, you know, in the movement, sensations in the legs, then that's what you would come back to. However, if you're, if you're doing uh, the kind of practice that we've been more instructing or guiding you to here where it's like, know what is being known, you know, recognize, oh, the breath is being known, or in the walking you'd be recognizing in that moment what is being known. You'd refresh the attention and the knowing element. Oh, and maybe it would be sounds being known, sights being known, smells being known, movement being known, sensations being known, thoughts being known. It could be anything. So it's not, it's not so much that there's a primary object so much as there, are, there is a primary process, the process of knowing that you come back to. The recognition of the knowing. Gabe. So you generally heard the question. Uh, I'm going to step back from the content of anatta or acceptance, whatever, and talk about the idea of momentum. You know, experience arises, and we could look at what makes this moment's experience arise. And, you know, there's external conditions, there's internal conditions. In the internal mindscape, I'm sure you've all noticed that you know, sometimes you get you get going down a groove and you just, you know, for, for a sustained period of time, you'll be in a kind of a groove. So, you know, you get, you know, say, say an, uh, an emotional flavor enters in the mind and, you know, it's anger. And you're just, you're just with it and you're watching it, you're watching this anger. And it's like a scenario from your past of a time when you were angry comes up and you see that. And then another scenario in the past when you were angry, that comes up. And then you imagine something in the future where you'll get angry, and that comes up. And it's like, wow, it's like, 
when the mind is in that space of anger, it's like it kind of draws all the conditions in your life which could provoke an anger response. So too with a wholesome state of mind. You're in a, you know, you're in a, a really calm and open and blissful and a very a, a, a state of a lot of gratitude, for example. And you're just feeling like, wow, so much gratitude for, you know, your teacher and your partner and your pet and your parents and, you know, you really. And then it's just like, it's it's, it's as if that state of mind draws other experiences for which you feel gratitude. Just notice that because one of the conditioning relationships in every moment is what is going on immediately before this moment. That's something that conditions this moment. So just to see that. Then in the anatta and the acceptance thing, anatta is an understanding. You know, we have certain experiences and some people, like yourself now, will have the understanding, oh, this is anatta. You know, and you you really see, wow, this is just... It's just a clear understanding of how impersonal, how ephemeral. It's just like stuff happens. It's like, you know, and you really feel like it's not about Gabe. You really see how it's just stuff happening. And that's an understanding that you have. So too with the acceptance. When you get into, you know, just accept this is the way it is for now. This is the way it is for now. There can be a lot of anatta in that. There can be a lot of atta in that, you know. I have to accept the way things are right now. You know, that kind of, I should accept. You know, I don't really want to, but I, I will accept, you know. And so there can, be, there can be that kind of effortful acceptance and really trying to move the mind in that direction. Sometimes they will arise spontaneously, the understanding of anatta. Sometimes acceptance will arise spontaneously. Sometimes you will want to intentionally apply the understanding of anatta. Just say, you know, you may not be feeling it, you may not be understanding, you may not be seeing it so directly, but you just say, you know, this is not me, not mine, not who I am. And so even though there feels like it's you, who you are and yours, you're using it as a kind of reframing tool. Not me, not mine, not who I am. Same with acceptance. You can encourage yourself to be accepting, or you may just realize, or you just may be in a place of strong acceptance. So there's a whole range of what, of ways of understanding what's going on there about anatta and acceptance. There's no preference. You know, in the moment, there might be a, a tendency one way or the other, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, in the wide path, that goes on for the rest of your life? Not important. It doesn't matter which one because you'll you'll be wandering over that terrain or all that terrain many times. So just notice what's going on at that time and and see how you're relating to it. Yeah, good. So we're on to, well, the first interview isn't starting right now. (laughs) But... uh, Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.